Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen at snc.tv and local now channel 525 but i want you to understand that it's not enough to have right doctrine and right theology if we don't love as god has taught us to love it's not worth it to have big buildings and big celebrations and gatherings if we don't love like god has taught us to love Welcome to The Barnabas Effect with Paul Purvis, Senior Pastor of Mission Hill Church, a multicultural, multi-generational, multiplying church focused on shining the light and love of Jesus like a city on a hill. You're invited to visit any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. For information and locations, visit missionhill.org. That's missionhill.org. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. And the choices you choose revolve always around what's best for you, then then you're not living according to godly love. Because godly love is always selfless. But what else? Godly love is satisfying. You know, I, I um, I read again today that the average marriage is lasting just over seven years. That means most people change marriages as often or more so than they change vehicles. Why? I think it's because we're searching for something that we're not finding, right? We're never satisfied. And and so as I look at this, it teaches me that godly love is satisfying. Why, Why would I say that? Well, The Bible says that God's love is demonstrated in the manifestation of Jesus who became, and it uses this word in 1 John, the propitiation for our sin. Now raise your hand if you've used the word propitiation in a sentence in the last seven days. That's what I thought. This is not a word that we use very often. So what does it mean? The propitiation is the wrath of God poured out on Jesus. Let me explain this. Did you know the Bible teaches that God hates sin? This means yes. Okay. It's pretty simple, right? That's Bible 101. God does not like sin. Why? Because sin separates us from God. Sin keeps us from his best. Sin keeps us from the better way. So whether it's politically correct or not today, the Bible teaches God hates sin. And then it goes a step further. It tells us sin is always going to be punished. Just think about that. When there's sin, there's punishment. My little seven-year-old, she understands making wrong choices. And so often if she's had to be corrected because she's made a wrong choice, she asks this question, are there consequences? (laughs) And I tell her there are always consequences of wrong choices. That's true with sin. And so the Bible doesn't leave us in the dark, though. The Bible goes on to tell us that the consequences of our wrong and sinful choices, the punishment is specific. It's death. You cannot sin against God and that go undealt with and not experience death. 
but that's not what God wants for you and me. And so just so you understand, that's why the Bible says God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him. And that word believe is a word that means trust. So you're not trusting in what you've done. You're trusting in what Jesus has done. Whosoever believes in him does not die, but has forever life. So let's get back to that word you're not using during the week, propitiation. The Bible says that when Jesus died on the cross, all of the anger of God towards sin was dumped on Jesus. I was just back at Golgotha in Israel and I went to the garden tomb and I thought about that moment where the Bible says the world became dark, the earth split, the veil in the temple was torn and Jesus said, it is finished. Why was he saying that? Because in that moment, he had taken on the wrath of God. For your sin and my sin. Why would he do that? Why would Jesus bear that burden? You and I don't usually live that way. We don't usually take on the punishment for people we don't even know. But Jesus took on the punishment before you were even born. He did that because of love. His love is satisfied. And the Bible says when Jesus died on the cross, when he bore that wrath of God, it satisfied God. And God said, okay, everything that needs to be done because of their sinfulness has now been done. I paid the bill. I covered the tab. Jesus took the punishment. It's satisfying. Hey, another quick test. Look at your love life. I'm not talking about just boy-girl love life. But look at the way you love. Do you love in a way that's satisfying or is it always about you wanting more? Is it always about you needing something? If you're needy in your love, then you've not yet tapped into the kind of love that God loves with. Because his love is satisfying. And then John kind of finishes this by reminding us again that his love is always shared. God loves us so that we can love others. And it's this equation over and over again. He says it in the book of first John. Hey, if you've been loved by God, you're going to love others. If you're not loving others, you haven't experienced God's love. It's simple. It's the main thing we're trying to walk away with. If you've experienced the love of God, you've got to learn to live and love like God. That's love defined. So we, we begin by saying, beloved, let us love one another. Love demanded. Then we move to love defined. God is love then as if we didn't understand it yet, you've got love demonstrated. In verse 9, he says, the love of God was made manifest. What does it mean to be made manifest? It means that you can see it, that you can touch it, that you can feel it, that you can understand it. See, love is kind of a, a, a vague concept if you don't put some skin on the bones. Love could be just that feeling that you feel when you feel a feeling you never felt before. But no, in Jesus, love was made manifest. In other words, he's saying, this is what love 
looks like. Do you know what that, that means? That tells me that I can know what God and his love look like. Because godly love is always visible. Is your love of God and your love of others visible? When, when you come to worship him, is it visible in your life and in, in your countenance and in, in the way you worship that you are in love with the one to whom you sing? Is your love for those in, in your little corner of the world visible? I, I remember the story of this old man and old woman. They've been married over 60 years. And finally, one, one day the old lady turned to the old man and, and she said, Honey, you never tell me you love me anymore. And he just snapped back. I told you I'd tell you if I changed my mind. <laughs> and I know people that live that way. Like he knows I love him. She knows I love her. Well, tell them. Show them. Love is always visible. Well, after he tells us that love is demonstrated, he comes back and he sums it up again in verse 11. And he says, hey, beloved, we ought to love. See, Scripture is very clear. If you have experienced the love of God, you must learn to love like God. I like the way this guy, John Bloom, put it. He said, to understand love correctly, we must see that love originates as a noun, but it necessarily produces verbs. God is love. That's the noun. But because he is love, we ought to love one another. There must be actions in our life that demonstrate the love of God. And so again and again and again, Jesus teaches this message. He gives us his truth. He's asked, what's the most important thing? He doesn't stutter. He doesn't hesitate. Oh, that's easy. The greatest is this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus was telling us, it's all about the love of God. It's all about the love for God. It's all about the love for others. You want to know what can you boil this down to? What, what is most important in my life? It's the love of God. It's the love for God. And it's the love of others. So if, if the central truth is, once I've experienced the love of God, I've got to learn to love like God, then there's only two questions that I have to answer. The first one is this. Have I experienced the love of God? And some of you are here and you need to experience the love of God for the first time. Now, how do I know if I've experienced it? Well, John made it pretty clear. If you're not loving others, you're not walking in the love of God. Hi, I'm Paul Purvis, the lead pastor of Mission Hill Church right here in Tampa Bay. Thanks for taking the time to listen to today's The Barnabas Effect. It's a ministry intended to encourage, equip, and empower you. You may not know this, but this ministry is made possible because of the generosity of listeners like you. We are able to be on the air because listeners like you are gracious and give to this ministry. Would you consider making a gift today? It would be our honor to send you a gift, a resource, as a result of your gift of any size. And you can make that gift by going to missionhill.org and clicking on the banner that says... The Barnabas Effect. That will direct you to a simple way that you can give right there online. Thanks again for listening to The Barnabas Effect today. And now we continue with our message. 
So if your life, no matter what you call yourself, no matter what you label you wear, no matter how many churches you go to, if you're not loving, God says, you're not his, you've not yet been born of love. How do I get born of love? Well, that same chapter in John chapter 3, where Jesus says, for God so loved the world, he gave his only son. He says this in a conversation with a man named Nicodemus. And to this man, Nicodemus, he says, you must be born again. Now, some of you have been in church, and so you've heard that phrase, but imagine if you haven't. And so Nicodemus said, wait a second. I know some people, teacher, rabbi, Jesus, some people, they they think you're wacky, but now you're sounding a little wacky to me. How am I supposed to be born again? I mean, I'm a grown man. I'm not not going into my mother's womb. You're born once. And, And Jesus said, no, not born in that way. But he's talking about being born of love. You see, there has to be a a moment in your life where you understand that your sin has separated you from God. And if left undealt with, it's going to cause God's wrath, his anger to be poured out on you. But yet you've understood that Jesus died in your place, that Jesus died to take the wrath of God for your sin. And you've trusted what Jesus has done. You've resigned as the boss, as the God of the universe. And you've said, yes, I want to experience and encounter your love. So, So first question. Have you been reborn into the love of God? And most of you in this room, I'm confident you would say you have, most of you. If you have, I want you just to take a moment and and go back to that moment and just say, thank you, Jesus. Like that song that we sometimes sing when when I think about the Lord. How he saved me, how he changed me, how he picked me up and turned me around and how he put my feet on solid ground. It makes me want to shout. Take a moment and go back to that time when God changed you and say, thank you, Jesus. But some of you, some of you don't need to be reborn. Some of you just need to remember what the love of God means to you. You see, God's love reminds us that No matter what we've done, no matter who we are, he loves us. He'll never love us any more than he loves us right now. Just stop. Think about that. No matter how hard you try, no matter how many churches you attend, no matter how much you give in the offering plate, no matter how many verses you memorize, go on and on. All the good stuff you could do for God, nothing you do will make him love you more than he already loves you. And you know what the flip side of that is? Nothing you do can make him love you any less. God loves you. Say, God loves me. Turn to somebody next to you and say, God loves you. I want you to understand that today. The law condemns us because of our sin. But God's love commends us to a better way of living. That's the message of Jesus. You you look through the New Testament, you're you're just not going to find time where Jesus walked into a crowd of sinners and began shouting at them about their actions. That just doesn't happen. I don't know how we've made that kind of the focus of the church. That's not the way Jesus lived. In fact, Jesus was accused of being like them because he hung out with the, the sinners and, oh yeah, the tax collectors. By the way, tax day's coming. 
See, the law condemns us because of our sin, but Jesus is commending us. There is a better way, just like he did in John 4 with that lady at the well. You remember? He had to go the way he went, the Bible tells us that day, through Samaria. And we know why he had to go there, because somebody needed to know that God loved them. And so he encounters this lady, and he's getting water from the well. She's getting water from the well. And Jesus says, hey, it's a leading question. The same kind of questions you could give to your neighbors, to the people in your little corner of the world that need to know God's love. Just a question to start a conversation. He says, hey, if, if you had my water, you would never get thirsty again. And she's like, what? Give me some of that water. And Jesus just smiles and says, go get your husband. She says, oh, there, I've got a problem. He says, I know. You've had five husbands. The guy you're with now, he's not your husband. And Jesus begins to show her love. And love changes her. The law condemns us in our sinfulness, but love commends us to a better way. I think about those times in the ICU. Those were hard moments. Not just the emotional pain, it's uncomfortable. Have you ever been in a hospital room? It's freezing in there. I mean, colder than church. Can you believe that? And all that disease, I mean, how can you go in the hospital and expect to get well? You're going to get sicker. And if you tried to sleep in those chairs, uncomfortable, and then you finally doze off and some person from the pit, I mean, a nurse comes in and turns every light in the place on. Machines are beeping and buzzing. I mean, it's uncomfortable. And some of you, that's where you are in life. You're in a place where you're uncomfortable and things don't seem right. And you know what you need? You need the intensive care and compassion of the Lord Jesus Christ. You need to know that though the law condemns your sinfulness, he's commending to you a better way that's found in the light of his love. Just a moment, I'm going to give you a chance to respond to that. To respond and experience the love of God. But there's a second question, and the bulk of us gathered in this room certainly need to weigh where we are when it comes to this question. The second question is, are you learning to love others as God has loved you? So we say we've been loved. We say we're Christians. Many of you wear that label proudly. Are you loving like Jesus? Are you fitting into this category that John describes that if you have been loved, you must be loving? It's a command. Love is the thermometer that you can use to take your spiritual temperature. Love is the witness that speaks out on your behalf if you were to be put on trial for being a follower of Jesus. And we must love better. As individuals, as a church, we we must love better because as someone has said, love is the circulatory system of the church. If, If the arteries of love get clogged, the church is in danger of spiritual cardiac arrest. One key evidence of spiritual maturity in our lives is the depths of our love for others. What is he saying? Our love demonstrates God to a needy world. 
Our demonstration of godly love displays God's goodness to a world that needs him. Is our world sick with sin? Yes. Is it chaotic? Yes. Are there a lot of people confused? They don't know what they're looking for? Absolutely. Do you know what they need? The love of God. So let's make it real practical. Your little corner of the world? Is there anybody outside of the circle of your love? Is there anybody in your little corner of the world that that needs to be reminded that you display the love of God? Maybe a family member, maybe a friend, maybe a, a coworker or a neighbor. Maybe they've pushed themselves outside of your circle. That sometimes happens, right? I love this little poem by Edwin Markham. He said, he drew a circle that shut me out. Heretic, rebel, a thing to flout. But love and I had the wit to win. We drew a circle and took him in. What are some of the practical ways that you can show love today? Well, you can have those gospel conversations because the greatest demonstration of love is is to let someone know what I've been telling you. God loves them. I wear this wristband that says, who's your one? Because it reminds me to constantly be praying for one or more people who need the love of God in their life. Do you have one that you're praying for? Are you sharing the love of God with people right where you are? And we've provided these little cards that give you an opportunity just to um, show kindness, to demonstrate the kindness of God in practical ways, no strings attached. You can pick these up and, and maybe you go through a drive through and take care of the order behind you. Or, or maybe at Starbucks, you just serve somebody. Maybe you take something, a gift to a neighbor or a coworker and give them one of these cards. Why? Not because it's birthday, just because you want them to see that the love of God has impacted you and through you is impacting the world around you. Bring somebody into your circle of love. That's all I'm asking you to do. I heard the story of second grade Sunday school class. The teacher was trying to get this principle across to them. So she took a copy of the word of God, the Bible, and she put it in one corner of the room. She took one of the little boys named Matthew. She put him in the opposite corner of the room. And then she gathered everybody else in the room in a circle. And then she said to them, hey, boys and girls, that Bible is representative of the love of God, which by the way, it is. It's God's love story to you and me. She said that Bible is representative of the love of God, but here's the problem. We're not connected to the love of God. We're over here in the middle of our world in our own little circle of influence. Boys and girls, how do we get some of God's love? One little boy chimed up and he said, well, we need to be connected to God's love. And so that little boy let go of his one of his hands and with his other hands, he was pulling people along beside him and he he walked over to that one corner and he put his hand on the Bible and that whole blob, that mob of kids kind of strung their circle around trying to stay in a circle as he put his hand on the Bible and the teacher said, you're right. Just like your hand is on that Bible, God's love wants to flow into each of your lives. Now that you're connected with the Bible, it's kind of like God's love is flowing through this circle. But then she said, oh, but we still have a problem. And she pointed over to Matthew. And little Matthew, it's only in second grade, he was almost in tears. Everybody else was having fun but him, and he was standing alone. The teacher said, Matthew's still outside of the circle of God's love. How, how do we 
get God's love to Matthew. And another little boy, he said, I've got an idea. And so he dropped one of his hands and he began to walk toward Matthew. And that blob began to be a single file line. And from one corner of the room to the other corner of the room with hands joined together, they reached from the Bible representing God's love flowing into each of their lives over to Matthew. And the closer they got to Matthew, he just couldn't contain his excitement. And he began to jump up and down. And when they grabbed out and reached his hand, he said, you reached me. And there are people around you that would be just as excited to know that they've been reached with the love of God. You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement. But it can't be done without your financial support. Go to missionhill.org and click on the Give tab. Your financial support helps us reach those seeking truth about God and themselves. Thank you for giving at missionhill.org. And join us weekdays at 9 a.m. for The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis on Faith Talk AM 570 and 910.